Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Product Uncensored Show. We are at episode 36 today, and I am still your host, Colin Pell. Um, if you are new, the standard, let's go through the th three things that you need to know about the show. First is our videos are on YouTube, and if you are watching it right now, you know the drill, right? Yes, the few things that we need you to help us with. First one is click on that subscribe button. And then of course, you don't just stop there, right? You need to smash that notification bell um, so that you know you get notified you know, and I get discovered. So win-win. Secondly, podcast is available on all major podcasting platforms. So I'm just going to show up here. Yeah. Um, and of course, as usual, follow over there. And finally, if you want to support this show, um, purely voluntary, there'll be a link in the description um, where you can... Uh, you know, for the cost of a coffee, you can support this show purely voluntary. If you don't want to, it's okay. Just keep watching and keep listening. So I'm not very greedy. So I'm just hoping that all of you who are watching and listening, you can do two out of the three things that I've just mentioned there. And if you've been watching from day one and you haven't done two out of these three things, I know where you live. All right. Okay. Now on to our guest. Our guest today is a Malaysian who is based out of Singapore. Yes, very, very touchy issue. Yes, we will go there too. Um, he cut his product management teeth in organizations such as Seek Asia, iCar Asia, Storehub, and F-Secure, to name a few. And he is currently the director of product management at Ninja Van. His name is Eric Wang. Welcome to the show, Eric. Hey, Colin. Thanks for the invite. Happy to be here. Yeah, thank you so much for agreeing. Um, and again, we, we had to move this a little bit because of uh, timing clashes and uh, and all that. So really appreciate you uh, being very accommodating to, to move the, the timings and dates around. So um, yeah, welcome to the show. Uh, so I, I, I wanted to start off with something very interesting for, for me, right? So your, your name is Eric Wang. Um, and just before we started recording, just asking how to pronounce it properly, whether it was Wang or Wang, right? So for you, right, if someone were to call you Eric Wang, right, would you like read, go and like correct them and tell you, no, it's actually Wang? Or do you like just, okay, like, you know, this guy doesn't know how to pronounce Asian surnames? Yeah, I actually don't bother. Like most <laughs> of the times, those that don't pronounce properly are not Malaysian. Because, you know, Malaysian know the word, Wang as Wang, right? It's money in Malaysia, which also gave me a lot of problems when I was in high school. But, you know, <laughs> let, let's not go there. Um, yeah, so like most of the times, uh, my surname is not really widely used anyway. Most people okay. call me Eric. So like, uh, yeah, so uh, I don't really bother to correct them. It's fine. No, like, no, no biggie lah. Yeah, I, I've heard other names get butchered worse. So I'm like, eh, close enough, you know? <laughs> okay, fair enough, fair enough. Okay. Yeah, so maybe maybe we'll jump straight straight into things, right? So the, the usual shtick is, you know, um, yeah, tell us more about your story about how you got into product management. So I, I think like most people around my age group, which is a bit sensitive, I guess, um, most people from our age, like they don't really choose product management, right? I think most of us say that we fell into product management accidentally kind of thing. Um, I started off uh, in a, my, my first job actually, I worked for this company that did um, internet streaming on mobile. And this was like, what, um, 13 years ago, where phones were still, like the most fancy phone you had was your Nokia, right? And, and um, 
at the time, the first service that it was launched on was on DG. And at the moment, at the time, DG had only Edge. If you know Edge as a mobile network, right? Not even 3G. So the quality was really shit. By the way, can I curse yes, on the yes, show? Yes, yes. <laughs> no problem. It is an uncensored show. It is all great, great, great. Yeah, so it was really bad. Um, and the screens were small. Uh, and, and to access the whole platform was over, a, I don't know if you remember this thing called WAP, the Web Access Protocol or something. And, and it was like a really shitty experience. So it was way ahead of its time and nobody liked it at all. So uh, safe to say the service didn't really survive um, and uh, the company actually tanked. So I was in that startup and it tanked. I moved to another company, which uh, was my first real product management company. Uh, it was a real product team in a way. Uh, but they practice extreme waterfall, right? So it was like uh, releases once every six months. Uh, it was uh, Windows-based communication software. Uh, it, the product manager would write a PRD that was like easily over 10 pages long. We would do our own mockups, put into a Word document and send over to the um, devs and they would spend over two weeks trying to understand what you were writing uh, before, they, before they started coding anything. Um, so that was my first real taste and uh, one thing I really enjoyed coming to that role was that um, it was nice to see things that uh, you know you sort of like envision come to life right I think that happens with most product managers that sort of get that sort of feeling um, so after that job I, I moved to F-Secure uh, and um, F-Secure I would say was the first real agile product company that really taught me a lot of uh, the stuff that I sort of use today. Uh, they had really good structure. They had mentors to teach you. Uh, I think my, my first two months, I had someone that was working me every week on, on certain things, trying to keep me working in the problem space, not the solution space, those kind of things. Um, and, and, and that really added so much more color to the whole sort of profession, right? For me. Mm. Um, and, and that where yeah, the passion really grew even more. And then uh, subsequently, yeah, just carried on to my future roles after that. Uh, okay. So yeah, it was, it was quite a nice experience, I must say, like for myself. Um, I'm quite lucky in that sense. Okay, okay. Yeah, um, I've just taken note of the fact that you you did waterfall, uh, sorry, P, uh, product management in waterfall mode with PIDs. Um, I definitely think I want to jump into that a little <laughs> bit. Now, now, now you've got my, my curiosity going. Um, but okay, okay. Um, yeah, so... I guess for you then, actually, um, you you got into product management quite early, right? Because like right after your first job, um, the the one that you said that with with DG streaming, and then you kind of then went into the other one, and then that was already product management, right? Yep, yep, yep. That's right. Yep. Okay, so so for you, you are I guess one of the more fortunate ones, right? Because you didn't you didn't oh okay lah. I don't know whether it's fortunate or not lah, but you were one <laughs> of those who got in. Um, early at that time, right? So yeah, yeah. I think this is circa 2010? Yeah, 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 I would say, yes. I think okay. that's quite accurate, yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. so 2010, let's let's go back to 2010, right? What was the product management scene like in 2010? Like when you started, right? What did you know about that role? And what did you know about the scene um, in general? And finally, what did you know about the product management scene in Malaysia? Honestly, I was quite oblivious to any scene at all. Like, I, I think at the time, I was so junior that for me, it was the job, right? Coming to work, keeping my head down, trying to just understand what's going on. 
making sure I can meet my targets and goals kind of thing. Um, keeping my bosses happy. So I wasn't really yeah, aware of any sort of scene. I didn't even know like this was a profession. I, it was just like... A, so what was interesting was when I got this job, right? I was hmm. trying to... Because my previous company tanked. So I had to leave, of course. And um, I, I found myself being in this position where I was a journalist, right? Uh, in my previous company, I was basically doing anything for that service. I was a startup. I was, I was the first employee. So I was doing anything at all to help the business. I, I even set up the office network, all those kind of things, right? So when I, when I le- left the company, I was quite desperate for anything that would be uh, interesting and, and you know, be a good job for me, right? And uh, this sort of like the job description sort of met what I felt I could do, right? Um, in fact, so I can share like this company was Green Packet, uh, Bahad, right? Okay. And when I initially applied for the role, it was for Packet 1, which was the WiMAX network at the time. Oh, right? okay, okay. Yes, yeah, and, and for some reason, my resume got routed to Green Packet instead. So I was also a bit like surprised. Eh? I thought I applied for Packet 1, but I sort of ended up there. Uh, but yeah, yeah they were, they were happy. the interview liked me and then uh, we got along and so it just sort of happened. Um, so to me, it was just a job. It wasn't like a thing, right? It was really just uh, me finding something to get some money and, and stuff and, and really just learning how to do work properly. I think like uh, in the startup previously, like, you know, you just sort of do anything, right? So this was the first company that had a bit more structure. Uh, of course, the, the I, I shared they do waterfall, right? But like uh, still, it was some sort of structure, right? Um, mm-hmm. That I could sort of learn and, and start to like grow my skills. Um, yeah, so I didn't participate in any excellent communities or try to learn on the internet about the role. I, I learned primarily from my bosses, but what they told me was, right, oh, okay, yes, yes, what we say is right and I shall listen to you kind of thing. Um, yeah, and, and uh, that's sort of how it was back then. I, I really didn't think that uh, this would be a long career kind of thing. It's just this job that I'm doing right now. Okay, okay. So it was more of the, okay, I need a job. This exactly. You, <laughs> I'm young, you know, so you join. And then pretty much at that point in time, whatever the superior says, you know, you're kind of like, okay, you know, they've eaten. So sorry, guys, uh, for, for, uh, they've eaten more salt than you've eaten rice kind of thing, right? Exactly, so, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah okay, yeah. yeah I, sorry, my mind went ahead of my mouth. So what I was going to say to to those who are listening, right, that's a, that's a Cantonese uh, phrase la, where the uh, usually the, the older generation like to always tell the younger generation when, you know, I've eaten more salt than you've eaten rice, yeah. you know, just to show they've got more experience, lah. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, okay. Okay. So, and also just for context, uh, P one, uh, was a uh, they were like, what? They're an ISP provider, right? Yeah, they were a four G internet provider, a wireless internet provider. At the time, uh, it was considered four G. Um, it was the competing technology against LTE, uh, mm. and LTE is the one that sort of won in the end. Uh, so, packet one sort of like I think eventually it's also converted to LTE. I think. Uh, now you know them as what are they called now? Huh? Like uh, the current version of it. Okay, I still, I still have some friends there, you know, but like uh, I can't remember the name of life of me right now. <sighs> they they were acquired by TM, I think they were acquired yeah, by yeah, TM. They were, they were. Yeah. Shucks. Okay, it'll, it'll come back to us. But yes, I, <laughs> I yeah. The minute you said it, then I I totally blanked or so. Okay, yeah. okay. But yeah, yeah. We'll we'll get back to that. But the point I'm gonna make is. If you are listening and, and P1 doesn't doesn't ring a bell to you, right? Then you kind of you can kind of figure out how how much further back um this is, you know. These these were the days where data was still very expensive. 
Um, and and I think at that time also, right, the, the most popular the most popular phone that would come out of the scene to to really, you know, create this new paradigm of, of mobile devices was gonna be Blackberry, isn't it? Around there. Yeah, it was still Blackberry was very hot. Uh Nokia's was still very hot as well. Yeah. I think uh iPhones come out what, what year was it? Was it I think iPhones were a bit later, I think 2013. Uh. I can't remember now. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, yeah, that wasn't a thing yet. Uh yeah. So so yeah, I mean I I still think back to those days where I imagine that product management would be so different, right? If it wasn't because of like two main things, I think one would be data becoming so cheap and yep. so accessible. Um, and also Android phones um becoming becoming a thing because it really allowed mass adoption of of mobile devices and then coupled with the price, right? It, it really made a lot of sense. Uh, yeah. So like, like I'm internet, just, yeah, sorry. Internet was definitely a big trend that pushed ahead software, right? Like um, mm. suddenly uh, making apps were super easy, like you say with Android and even iOS. Um, and, and then the web was also developing uh, in terms of like the technology that it could offer, the different libraries and tools you could use. Um, suddenly it became, like I would say, I was struggling to find a job between, uh, even after Green Packet, I think I had a bit of trouble finding a new job. But after, after that, I think after F-Secure, jobs were coming to me. Like, so yeah. it was how quickly the, the trend sort of happened and, and suddenly things were, product management became a real thing. And um, I was just lucky, right? To have been sort of like, sort of fall into it yeah, in a way and, mm. and had no sort of like I, I like to say that I planned strategically I looked in the future and this was a trend I spotted right that's why I wanted to do this kind of job but no it was just like really luck as it seems and my wife it gives me a lot of shit because like yeah, you're lucky okay please don't, don't pretend like you're damn smart or whatever, okay? you're just lucky you got this kind of thing I'm like okay, okay. <laughs> yeah yeah I mean okay but I have to I'll, I'll probably put some some defense in on your side, lah, you know, because I think anyone at that time who decided to do it, um, you know, you probably would have seen that, you know, there would have been some promise or some potential to the role. Lah. You know, you may not have known where, where it was going. Or maybe I should phrase it at a question and ask you, like, was it the case or was it really purely for you? Like, are you really lucked out, like, 100%? Honestly, I, I kept wanting to do it after Green Packet because it, I enjoyed it. I felt it was something that was interesting and fulfilling. Um, and, and yeah, like I, I didn't, wasn't thinking in terms of like a career thing. It was more like uh, I'd rather do something that I can feel happy to do every day at work rather than like uh, find something that may be super lucrative, right? But like, oh shit, I want to do this again. Like, yeah. yeah, yeah. So in, in a way, I guess, you can say I lucked out lah. Uh, in terms of like finding something that I enjoyed, uh, and, and also something that sort of panned out uh, financially for me as well. <laughs> of, course, of course, of course, we're not we're not running a charity, right? So yeah, I uh, yeah, yeah. But so so then the question that comes out of this is, was it or, or when was it? At which point did you realize that you really wanted to do this? As a career, as opposed to you know, like you know, your first time going to product management was just whatever the job is, and then you take it. When did the penny drop for you? It was definitely obscure. Like uh, when when I was like, Obscure had a was the first company that even had that uh, product owner versus product manager kind of split 
where I was actually the product owner. I was working day to day with the development team. And there was product managers in Helsinki uh, that were sort of like looking at customers and strategy and stuff. And, and we were more tasked to really uh, prioritize on a product backlog level and, and mm. uh, really work out the final details of the team. Um, and it, uh, the, the sort of like, given that I was working with an MNC, like there was that presence globally, right? And, and uh, allowed me to even travel to, to Finland uh, like almost at least once a year kind of thing. It really opened up my, my world like, holy shit, this is something that is much bigger than what I thought it was kind of thing. And um, allowed me to relearn really because uh, a lot of the, you know, you know, we talked about agility as a mindset, right? And, and also product management also as a mindset kind of thing, like really yeah. trying to be customer centric, thinking about how you can solve problems for people kind of thing. Mm. Previously, it wasn't that, right? It was just building solutions. Right. And, yeah. and this was the first company where I got that glimpse of, oh, wow, like it's so much bigger than what I thought it was. And it really sucked me in, I must say. Um, so really luckily, once again, really lucky and fortunate to have been in that environment where uh, they had to kind of set up to support people like me who were quite clueless uh, and, and help sort of uh, educate me in a way. Right. So that's mm. definitely, I would say that job uh, helped me to open my eyes and, and see sort of like the rule for what it really could, could be. And, and that was really amazing. Mm, okay. Okay. Well, since we're on that track, let, let's go down a little bit more, right? Because you're saying that uh, in F-Secure, there was this PM versus PO role, right? That's and, right. and of course, today it is, well, not just today, like for a while already, there's been this ongoing debates around PM and PO. And now that you are a product leader yourself. You are building the team. You get to decide the roles. Yeah. Um, what are your thoughts on this? Like, do you feel like there is a place for a PM versus PO type role? Or yeah, or, 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 or what do you think? Like, what's the best way for product management to function like in this day and age? My, my preference is to definitely have the product manager cover both the product owner role and be on sufficiently enough on the business side. Because... If you split the roles up, there's too much of a gap between understanding the technology versus understanding the customers and, and the business, right? Mm. Um, you, you know that, that PM circles thing, right? Like yeah. you're basically splitting it apart in a way. So it's sort of like, uh, doesn't work for me. My, my preference is to sort of like scope down the product manager's role to be much more uh, narrow, uh, but have them have proper ownership end-to-end -end, all the way from the tech all the way to the uh, business and sort of like have them work in that sort of vertical uh, mm. sufficiently. Um, and, and, and so far, like for me, I've seen how it works well. Uh, I've seen how definitely they're very busy. Like my PMs in my current company are super, super busy. Um, mm. So like there's, then there's a lot of teaching them time management and delegation and, and, uh, and planning, right? Um, uh, so th there are techniques that are out there that can help them with the time management, which I mm. think uh, is a better compromise compared to having split the role and have a product man manager who's too clueless about the tech or a product owner who has no idea about the customers and their needs and stuff like that. Okay, okay. So, so this is where I play the devil's advocate, right? Because I, by the way, I'm not saying I disagree with you. Personally, I, I, I feel the same. Um, but I also wanted to sort of play devil's advocate here because my, my question would be, but you you cut your teeth or you got your experience working in an environment where it was split and yep. you still thrived because of it, right? 
Um, and and my assumption about you thriving is because you've managed to make it to where you are today. And while I think that, yes, a lot of it is down to your own prerogative and and really, you know, driving for your own uh, ambition. Um, I also think that it is also, there is some certain element of it having, having worked because I think um, you also stayed in F-Secure for quite a while, right? So they must have been doing something, right? So here's where the devil advocates come, you know, argument comes in and says, yeah, but could it work though? Um, Actually, when I left F-Secure at the time, I think the, the year, the one year before I left, there was actually a transition where the product owners were trying to be transitioned to have more of a business uh, kind of impact or, or sort of like kind of role as well. And, and they moved the product managers to become like the product leaders. So like the heads of function, you know, or heads of uh, that, that sort of product area, right? Uh, the vertical or whatever. And um, it expanded the product owner's role to become a bit more uh, encompassing, even the business side as well, to talk to customers and stuff. Uh, I think, and, and, Having been in that role, I can tell you that a lot of frustration came where uh, the team felt very disempowered, right? We were like sort of just being fed what to do. Mm. Sometimes you couldn't understand. Uh, and, and it was really demotivating uh, to just be sort of like churning out stuff, right? And we, we, had, we, we, could, we had sessions where we could talk to the leaders and understand. Uh, but ultimately, we had to trust what they were telling us and, and um, accept you know, that it's the truth and just sort of carry on the work, right? But there was still this gap, especially for the few of us that were a bit more curious and really wanted. And, and of course, at the time, we were reading out about product management as well and, and trying to really understand uh, the, the craft better. And so then we realized, oh, yeah, like this is this parts of the job are missing for us. And, and how do we get that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so there's definitely that sense of frustration that, that happened uh, when I was there, especially with the more senior ones. Um, so I think as a result, that's why the company also eventually sort of like started to uh, involve these uh, product owners more on the sort of, in all the three circles in a way. Um, and, and yeah, the shift in the sort of like organization happened uh, as a result of the frustrations that uh, we felt. Uh. I see. Yeah. But okay. Okay. I guess, and I'm again, I'm trying to push the envelope here because I think this is, you know, sometimes in product management spaces, right? We 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 also fall into the trap of bashing stuff that we think are not cool or not, not nice, right? And I will get into this, into this whole waterfall PRD um, discussion as well, if we have time to get there. Um, but for me, I'm thinking about what would be the logical way to have done this at that point in time. And even now, today, I think the challenge still stands, right? So imagine you have a business in, in that particular market or a few markets but your development teams are in an, in an area that is not there. How would you then help them to get the context and everything? Now, it is usually quite hard for, you know, you can't bring your entire development team because that obviously not, doesn't make financial sense, like business sense. So then you could get the, the one, have a, a product manager that's based where the developers are, or you could have a product manager that's based in the market that you're in, development team that's remote and then have them work it out that way or the third option is you know have your pm and then have sort of a po role um so i guess to 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 for you right now right because uh, nidavet also also um works in different markets and you would probably have that same challenge like how would you then solve this problem like what would be your solution of choice 
So um, I, I hate to like sound really annoying and keep on saying that I'm damn fortunate, but like honestly, I'm, I'm fortunate to be an organization that strongly believes in um, being in the weeds of, of the problem area. Mm. Uh, the, the leaders have made it very clear that the expectation is for PMs to travel. Uh, in fact, like um, there's budget for PMs to travel at least, at least once a quarter uh, to any sort of country within conversation that we operate in uh, to sort of like speak to the local teams, speak to customers. Because um, I think Ninja Van as a company, right, uh, they, they grew very fast and, and their founders are very entrepreneurial. So they understand, they were doing the, the work themselves, right? And, and they understand the value of understanding the nuances, the local nuances and, and sort of taking account for it in your plans and strategy, mm. right? So they have a very strong, the strong support, right? Um, our team sort of like uh, sort of traveling and, and learning those things, right? And uh, I would say this is not just, uh, not, not just for the product manager, even the design and the technical leaders, right? Allowed mm-hmm. to like travel and really uh, build relationships with the local country um, and, and understand and meet customers if, need, if they need to, yeah. Um, and, and and learn in that way, right? Uh, and, and that really helps to have, to build a much stronger team where they really understand the problem area well and, and can do the work properly. Mm-hmm. Um, we've also built a uh, user research team where uh, they're actively, well, they, they don't travel as much. Uh, they normally do like Zoom calls with uh, all the different customers that we recruit uh, to sort of learn about um, the landscape uh, and, and make sure that strategically we, we understand sort of like all the uh, problems in, in the space and where potentially uh, opportunities that we should sort of focus on. Mm. Um, so, yeah, like I, I must say that uh, that's basically how we solve it today. Like uh, we make sure that people, I, I know it's not the cheapest thing to do, but uh, I think the, the sense is that it's going to be a lot more financially um, advantageous to us to have our team better understand uh, the problem spaces mm-hmm. than uh, trying to save costs and have like someone tell us like a, like a proxy to tell us sort of like uh, this, is, this is sort of like what you should listen to and, and stuff like that mm-hmm. uh, and, and just go based on that third party information. Okay. Okay. So it, it sounds and again, I, I'm just trying to go into making you see it explicitly or rather I'm understanding it explicitly. Yep. So the PM would be the one that would you know have that full breadth and depth of the understanding, and then the developers can be basically be anywhere lah. Is that is that what you're saying? Yeah, okay. I mean one of the problems is that uh, I'm sure everyone's feeling this same pain right, where uh, engineering people or engineers, sorry, <laughs> engineers right, are the hardest people to hire for right now, right? Like uh, there's such a in demand uh, group of people, you know that um. Basically, they can work in any company anywhere around the world now. Like there are a lot of remote policies that that make this a lot more flexible. Um, so, uh, we have engineering teams in um in Singapore, in uh Vietnam, in uh Indonesia, and interestingly enough, even in Palestine, we have an engineering lab. Uh, we're going to open one in Malaysia, uh, very soon probably. Um, and I think we're also exploring India potentially as well. Um, so. I think we're trying to trying to optimize for where the talent is, uh, mm. and yeah, you, you could be anywhere in the well, hopefully, well, hopefully anywhere in the world. Um, and and uh, 
we'll pr- probably have you travel once in a while to sort of like uh, cross learn and share and build relationship, right? Mm. Um, but yeah, th- that's sort of like uh, what we've decided as the optimal structure because like um, it's just too hard to hire everyone in Singapore anymore. Mm. Uh, so we had to sort of like put this in place. But for PMs, uh, given that like uh, the the ratio is much smaller, I, I think we feel it's okay for us to spend the money to have them be able to travel and, and uh, meet people face to face every mm-hmm. once in a while. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So sorry, I'm just, we're basically we've for those of you who are listening or watching, we've kind of basically melted into you know um, um Eric's role in in, in uh, Ninja Van, um. But I think it was a nice, very smooth segue in. Um, but given that is the case of how the 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 hiring strategy is right how do you guys overcome the challenges of uh working um i guess remotely now is a bit more passe right because we kind of you know there are so many tools but i think the one that i found more interesting is how do you work with um varying time zones mm. because that's that's when you not just have to work remotely, but asynchronously That's right. um, as well. So I, I'm very curious to know, how do you guys make that work? How does Ninja Van make asynchronous working? Especially given that, you know, there is not only the time lag, but there's also the information disparity. So for example, if your developer in Palestine does not understand something, right? They, they usually would either have to wait for the next day cycle or you, they would have to, or somebody has to sacrifice their their sleep or their time outside of working hours. I'm so curious to know how how you guys are approaching that that conundrum. So, like, uh, as you said, right, like, uh, there are a lot of uh tools now available that sort of make remote working a lot easier. Uh, mm. we're heavily on Miro and and uh, Jira and and Gchat. Uh, we're much bought into the Google ecosystem. So like, unfortunately, we don't have Slack. <laughs> We've chosen Gchat as our tool of choice. Wow. Um, so a lot of these things help make the asynchronous work sort of like easier. Mm. Um, I think also fortunately, uh, the sort of communication between product managers, designers, and uh, engineers are a lot more structured nowadays, right? We have all these tools. We even have like th- things like Zeppelin and Sketch to like help our designers sort of like help to communicate the uh, designs to our engineers in a very pixel perfect kind of manner uh, and allow us to also test and, and, and verify that those things are implemented correctly. So because I, I think because it's so structured nowadays, it's a lot easier for us to do these kind of things uh, regardless of the time zone. Um, it, it's the main challenge I would say is relationships, right? The 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 trade-off of um having remote sort of like uh work is you don't have people together. And it's very natural that when people are not together, uh we don't they don't build the kind of bond that you may have mm-hmm. sitting together in the same office yeah. or, or or grabbing a beer downstairs, kind of thing, you know. Um so actually Ninja Van as a company uh has this very strong principle of uh of relationship building. Like uh it's, it's been sort of like some uh, sort of unspoken rule or a cultural thing where uh, almost every day after 6 p.m., uh, we, have a, we have a beer tap in the office. People mm. go downstairs to the patio area and they just grab beers and talk and drink. Um, and people who smoke also smoke as well. So like um, it is a cultural thing that's been started ever since the founders started the company, right? And, and that's something that they emphasize a lot. And it, it actively tell people, hey, why don't you go downstairs and grab a beer with this kind of thing? 
Um, and as a result of that, um, I would say like a lot of people are a lot closer, right? Um, the, the hypothesis there is that you're going to work much easier with someone if you're close to them compared to like if you're just on like a very professional relationship, right? Uh, so th that's the unfortunate trade-off of uh, having remote yeah. engineering teams, right? Uh, you can't really hang out and chill with them and, and really talk about crap and, and they just have fun and, and really chill kind of thing. Um, so the work is the work works as in like it, it sort of like gets done. However, like uh, the the teams are not as close as we like them to be. Definitely, like the, the ones that are co-located definitely are closer, and, and we that's what we believe is more optimal. Uh, but there's a trade-off that we've decided that is uh, necessary given the constraints that we were in. Um, but yeah, it, had we have a choice, we definitely prefer to have people together just to be able to create that kind of. Mm. closeness and, and relationships yeah so but there's also this other challenge about being remote in that collaboration is also going to be harder right because like how do you invite your engineering team which is in a different time zone in order to participate in either user research or you know the planning side of things because then essentially you know it, it <laughs> Not, not to disparage any of the efforts that are going in this direction, but would it be more like then the people who are not co-located suffer in the sense that they have the more hand-me-down kind of, okay, you guys need to do this kind of thing. Um, yeah, because like, you know, the, the, the collaboration in real time is a challenge or unless, you know, I guess I'll be curious to know if there is uh, the ability for, for Ninjavan to actually do collaboration, which is also asynchronous. Um, yeah. Um... Vietnam and Indonesia has a one hour time difference between us, like the one hour behind Singapore, Malaysia. So like in that sense, the time zones are pretty much okay. It's not much yeah. big of a difference. Yeah, the, yeah. Biggest, the biggest issue is the Palestine team where they're like five hours behind uh, yeah. Singapore, Malaysia time, right? Yeah. So yeah, I, I must say that uh, that gap is significant enough that it does cause challenge around this kind of area mm -hmm. you just mentioned. So yeah, it, it's, it's not ideal. It's definitely a trade-off. Uh, and uh, we, we try to make sure that uh, we have um, rituals and um, sort of like uh, no, just call them rituals that help ensure that these teams are properly kept up to date mm. with the information they need in order to do an effective job. Um, I, yeah, uh, it, it's not ideal. I totally agree. Uh, but like it's, it's a trade-off that we have to make, to make in order to like keep ourselves uh, sufficiently you know, uh, powered with teams who can deliver the work for us. Mm -hmm. Okay, okay. Thank, thanks for 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 you know really being very uh, open with with your sharing as well. Because for me, I think you know, I've had experience uh, with working with um, where the product manager is in one location, and then the development teams are in a different location, and also had the multi development locations um, with different time zones and both happen at different times of, of uh, you know, our era. Um, but I still felt like that challenge was never really sufficiently solved, right? Um, and that, that's always a challenge. So for me, you know, remote is not so much of a big issue. I, I think I am, because I embraced remote even pre-COVID pre and I felt that there was value there. But the one that <clears throat> even through COVID that, that, I really struggled was when it was remote 
and the significant time difference, like you said, where, where, where it's a like five hour, six hour difference, or in, in my case, some of them were like 15 hours or 12 hours, right? It it just really sucked to, you know, to put it frankly, to, to collaborate. Yeah. Um, and it always came at a very high cost to either one side, you know, somebody or some team had to really sacrifice and, and you know, stay up late and, and eat into your your you know, the, the time that you're supposed to be like mentally recharging kind of thing. So I was just very curious to know, since you mentioned, um, you know, Palestine and potentially um, India in the future as well. Yeah, yeah. Like, like I, I totally agree. Like, I, I think even when I was working at Seek and we had uh, teams in Australia, right? Uh, Australia is uh, also not too far away. I think two yeah. or three hours, yeah. Yeah, depending on like daylight savings. <laughs> I, I can't believe daylight savings is a thing. It's still a thing. Like, it's so ridiculous. Anyway. <laughs> So, so like, uh, even just that two or three hours also sort of like impact our calendars where I had to make sure that uh, I made my mornings free for meetings with Australia. And then uh, most of the local meetings and stuff, we would sort of plan after lunch kind of thing. I think ultimately, it's a mindset thing, right? It's, it's really making sure everyone has empathy for the other side, wherever they are, right? And uh, trying to accommodate. Because like, if, if you're selfish and just want to optimize for your own uh, it needs it's gonna be very hard for everyone else so like as long as everyone's really open to like trying to help the other side I think that that's where it really helps uh, whether it's just make, making time in your calendar for different hours or uh, being willing to once in a while work late or work early right um, or, or putting the extra effort to do documentation so that um, you know there's uh, a resource that uh, the other teams are able to access to, to sort of understand if they need help um, that, that really helps. Lah. So I think ultimately trying to build that kind of mindset and empathy in the teams to sort of like understand, okay, this is, we're all a team. We have to help each other out. Um, and, and this is the challenge, but we're, we're going to work through it anyway. Uh, yeah. that, that really helps uh, if everyone's sort of on board and, and yeah, it's, it's committed towards trying to help each other. Okay. Okay. All right. Okay. Um, let's switch tracks a, a, a little bit. Still, still with your time at, at Ninja Van, right? Um, because good, good stuff all coming up. Um, so um, as I mentioned earlier in the uh, in the introduction, you know, you you actually moved from from Malaysia to Singapore to take up your role, um, yeah. um in Ninja Van. Um, I mean, we'll we'll have the we'll have the separate conversation off air around how you've been a traitor and all that, you know. But on this call, you know, we'll, we'll talk about you know how what did you have to change? Oh, oh, sorry, let me that that should be the second question. What did you find different about the product scene in Singapore versus um, in Malaysia in a professional setting? So let's not talk about the the entire ecosystem first. Let's talk about like what you saw when you went to Ninja Van. Um, versus what you'd seen in your other roles, which were which were mainly in in Malaysia, even though they had a, a multiple location presence. I mean, I can't compare Ninja Van to Seek because Seek is like a donkey years old company. Uh, they have had so much time and uh, they're so mature in a, as an organization, right? So if I had to compare a company, perhaps if I have to compare, maybe I'll compare. Hmm, yeah, I wouldn't say I've, I worked in a company in Malaysia that's of like the same sort of size. age and, and size as, as Ninja Van. I'm, I would say that uh, if I had to just compare against Seek uh, if, yeah. without any better comparison, mm. Ninja Van definitely is a lot less structured compared to Seek. And, and why is because they are trying to organize around bias for action, right? The difference between working at Seek and, and here is that 
at seek to make any decision, you have to sort of like go to multiple rounds of analysis and discussions with leaders and, and getting alignment and then before we make a first move kind of thing. Whereas here, um, if a certain decision drags even for more than a day or so, people get annoyed, like, hey, please just decide now and move, please. Like we're wasting time, right? So there's a lot stronger bias for action, which I really, really appreciate and and uh, and enjoy even because like uh, that's where you get to see things moving, right? Um, mm. So uh, one of the first immediate things I would say is that uh, the, the bias for action here is a lot stronger, right? Um, from a practice's point of view, I would say that um, definitely not as uh, mature as Seek, right? Uh, because like uh, the current chief product officer of the company is uh, this guy called Bosian, and he's one of the co-founders, the, the three co-founders of the company. And he's not really a product manager by profession or by background, right? He's just an entrepreneur that just trying to get things right. Uh, so he does anything. He was previously chief operating officer. And then when this gap happened, uh, he, he sort of stepped in this role. So he, he's, he's doing what we all sort of do when we're not really sure and uh, read up on the internet, what are the best practices and, and try to implement it with the team and, and see what really works. So a lot of testing and, and learning, right? Mm. Uh, so the, the, the state that we're in right now, I would say is a state where uh, we started to really get really, really, uh, really prioritize uh, having data, both qualitative and quantitative. Right, it's a strong focus on it right now. Uh, we have a research team that does uh, qualitative strategic research. Yep. We have uh, implemented product analytics tools. Um, in fact, just uh, I think three months ago, uh, we fully rolled out mixed panel across uh, most of our product suite. So now uh, the PMs and PDs uh, have a lot more uh, deep in-depth sort of like uh, understanding of uh, customer behavior that they had previously. Uh, we've also implemented OKRs now. Uh, something that uh, was just starting when I joined the company and, and uh, we've, we've now definitely uh, crystallized that a lot more as a practice. Um, so definitely, I would say in general, uh, the practice wasn't as mature as I see, mm. but the difference I would say is definitely a stronger by faction. And also the team is a lot younger mm. uh, and, and, and they are, because they're younger, I think they're a lot more curious to learn and, and uh, they're, they're very happy to ask questions and, and uh, get guidance. Um, and uh, as a result, they're actually a very pleasant bunch to work with. Um, not a lot of snobs, you know what I mean? Like, I, I don't know whether you, you feel this or not, but like in certain, in certain organizations that are a bit more mature, you get some product or designer snobs where they think of like uh, product management or design is king shit, right? And the rest of the business don't know. And uh, you know, you, you, the, the way they, they speak and behave, sometimes I'm like, oh crap, please. You know, um, the, the, the business teams have gotten to where they were, where they are today for a reason, right? They're not just luckily, luckily sort of fell there. So they have credentials behind them and, and they know that shit as well. Yeah. Uh, so you have to give them props and, and, and want to partner and collaborate with them, you know, to, to solve problems together, right? Yeah. Um, so I would say that is a lot, there's snob, snobberish kind of behavior. There's a lot less in the company, which I really appreciate as well. So, um, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I suppose, okay, so two, two points that I wanted to sort of, um, I, at least in my head now is two points, lah. hopefully I remember both by the time I finish. But I guess the first one is, you know, I think the size of the organization has something to do with it, right? Seek is this behemoth, which like you say, it's been around for a really long time, has made really, really good revenues over the years, which has allowed them to really 
you know, be like almost like Thanos, right? Just come in, and, <laughs> you know, or, or how and come in and smash everything. Um, but then I guess the the second part is also I just wanted to point out something that you said that I think is really really true, where you said there were certain people in the organization who felt as if you know the other the other functions within the the the, the organization didn't get it right. Um, and, and I think for anyone who's listening, I think this part is super crucial. The business, the sites who are, you know, the other departments or company uh, are teams who are not product or engineering or tech in general. They're not useless or they're not, and, and more importantly, they're not the enemy. Um, you know, I think a lot of times I hear this undertone of, you know, there's a lot of resentment to, oh, we're doing this because the business always say so, you know, this team, uh, they don't, and, and, and we have to understand that this is, product management is, is like a tango, it's like a dance. It's, it's, not, it's not a zero-sum game where it's either I win or business wins or my team wins or business wins, right? Because ultimately, if revenue is not coming in, right, we have nothing to speak of. Um, and while, you know, product metrics and everything are fantastic, I'm not downplaying that. Ultimately, the product has to be able to generate revenue, which is, you know, the core, the, the core mandate of the business team. So obviously, they're going to push harder when, when things are bad and, and, and all that. So really, the key is drive for, for collaboration, which is something that you mentioned um, as well, because I, I just feel like somehow, maybe it's, you know, just the changing of the times, you know, given how popular product and, and, and your engineering functions are. You're right. I do feel a little bit of that, you know. I don't know what is snobbery or what it what it is, lah. But it's some this weird mindset where you know we are the center of the universe. I mean, we are. I'll I'll definitely vouch for us being important, but I yeah we we're still we're still a part of the wheel or the cogs that make the wheel turn. Um. Yeah. So I just wanted to 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 call that out. Um. But to back to what my first uh, observation of you know you know usually unavoidable when your team gets bigger you know how do you at ninja van make sure that as you mature the structure and the processes um, and the practices of the product team that you avoid the pitfalls of what you've seen at seek you know the you're taking like you know four or five sessions just to make a decision and keep that bias for action yeah uh I would say it wouldn't be easy, right? Uh, as, as teams grow, that's going to very easily happen. I, I think having strong, a strong culture and having solid principles will help, right? Um, and, and this is what I've been trying to do for the, the team where like establishing, uh, I'm, I'm in the midst of sort of trying to put together like a product playbook in a sense that sort of helps the team have a guideline. Like what I tell the team is that this is a guideline for you to, refer to if you have no idea or just want some examples to sort of like help you get, get on right but it's not in any sense a bible that you go to and you must follow step by step kind of shit mm -hmm. um, and I'm hoping that this helps them become more autonomous in a way that they just can sort of like have resources they can go to and, and um, use that to help decide things without needing the leaders to sort of give input um, we also, I, I think the, the leaders playing a role in, in just communicating, you know, that like we're okay with you all to decide and make mistakes. Mm. Just don't make the same mistakes many, many times, right? Uh, that, that's very, very important, right? And, and making sure that they feel that, okay, I, I have the space uh, and I have support 
to go and try things and, and learn from them, right? Um, the, the other part of it is uh, making sure that uh, they have also collaborated enough with the business so that they understand all the risks as well uh, that we're going to take with trying this idea, right? So um, stakeholder management, risk mitigation, they're all very uh, typical product management type of techniques, right? Uh, and, and I'm hoping that if they can leverage those techniques well, uh, they should be able to sort of run their own show and, and not rely a lot on the leaders to uh, decide for them what to be done, right? Mm. Um, it, it works to some extent. There are some teams that, uh, that are a lot more confident, uh, a bit more senior people and they're willing to run. Uh, there are some teams that are a bit more certain and, and they will want more guidance and, and they constantly come to you for help. Uh, but I guess that's where the coaching comes in, right? You have to really um, ask the right questions, help them um, figure things out by themselves. And, and this is something that uh, I've also helped, had to learn very, very, um, had to learn a lot to do well, right? Uh, trying to not call out a problem or a mistake very obviously and, and, and ask questions till you know, they, they sort of come to it themselves and, and have that be something that sticks with them and they understand the sort of like principles and concepts rather than giving them the right answer that helps them at the one time, but not longer term. Um, it's definitely something that I've had to really build up as a skill, uh, as a product leader. And it's really, really hard. And uh, I, I continue to learn today. Mm. Um, but yeah, really, I think it's, it's trying to uh, ensure that uh, I'm not the bottleneck or the leaders are not bottleneck for decisions, right? And, and um, the, the sort of principle is clear that we want teams to run by themselves uh, and, and providing them the sort of structure and resources that enable them to do that. Uh, as much as possible. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So let's now again, you know, change track a little bit because I think where where you've gone into is quite a nice space to 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 jump in as well, right? Which is you know, the the product management practices and leadership um in general. Um, I guess first question picking up picking off picking up where you left off is. When you joined um, Ninja Van as the director of, of product, right? So sorry, sorry, sorry. Let me let me let me let me give some interesting nuggets here, right? So Eric is would be would you be considered the spiritual successor to the previous head of product? Uh, I mean, in between Boxen taking over the CPO role, right? So he would there would be a direct line from from Ritz to him. Right, and Ritz was the first um, guest on this show, um, and he also worked under Ken Chin in Seek Asia, and Ken was, I think, guest number three. So you can see that the you know I just wanted to draw the lines here a little bit because you you'll find over time, the product management is really really small, and it's very very interesting about how over time, um, yeah, the, the these connections form. So yeah, it was something that I just yeah I think I wanted to call that out. Um, and just by doing that, I totally lost my train of thought about the question I was going to ask you. <laughs> <laughs> you want to ask me about the practices, I think. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Correct, yeah. correct. Sorry. Yeah, what I was going to ask was, um, when you came to, you took the the the, the leadership role um, in Ninja Van, right? What were the things that you needed to do to set yourself up for success? Uh, Grant, I mean, and and the context here is that you know in in F secure in uh, in in seek you were the leaders you were one of the leaders but you were not 
for lack of a better word, top of the food chain, right? Like in Ninja Van, literally, you answer only to, to the CPO who's actually the co-founder. So in my book and in my view, you are the, the practice lead lah, uh, and, and the leadership head of, of Ninja Van. So what did you have to sort of do in order to set yourself up for success? At, at Ninja Van, I, I would say your actions is definitely the thing that speaks loudest, right? Uh, what you're able to achieve and do uh, what you're able to show in terms of your ability to uh, influence others as well. So, um, what, what, uh, maybe I would say the most uh, important thing that I did was first off, uh, sort of following also the sort of cultural thing that Japan has is, is really building relationships. So really spending a lot of time with stakeholders. Uh, the, the, the more key ones you have to identify, of course, find the right ones and really identify them uh, and, and spend a lot of time with them to really understand what are the current problems that they see and, and how potentially you guys can collaborate together to solve those problems. And once they start to see that you get it, right, just from what you say, they get it, um, they, they start to have to build trust, right? And also yeah. build shared understanding on like, okay, yeah, I, I think we're all on the same page in terms of like how we think about principles and, and stuff like that. And, mm. and that allows us to work together more easily. So definitely I would say that's, that's the first one. Yep. Second one then is, okay, yeah, you, you talk a lot of talk with them about like what you want to do. You, want, you must walk the, walk the talk as well, right? So making sure that you execute well with your teams on delivering what you promised to the business, right? Mm. Um, so this one was uh, really challenging for me because uh, one of the high priority product areas that uh, I was sort of like assigned to look at uh, was really, really uh, challenging. And, and, and the whole product team actually left due to various reasons. Like I, I won't want to go to, I'll uh, talk to you after the, the show maybe. <laughs> <laughs> now, now, now you're just teasing the rest while listening, but I, I understand. Yeah. I understand. So, so um, really trying to rebuild that team mm. and create a, a, a plan uh, I, I wouldn't say it's a strategy yet, but like at least a, a very clear plan for how this product will uh, manifest and, and solve the problems that we're looking to solve. I think uh, to, to help give them the confidence, okay, this is what I needed. This is what I see will happen and when kind of thing. Of course, uh, the, the roadmap thing is a thing that we, we've discussed before as well. Like it's not something that we can 100% say will happen when, but at least it's a sort of like a view that we can provide to the business team so they can sort of start to imagine what to expect when and when. So uh, yeah, do, doing that was also very important to, to make sure that you execute well. Um, so, so that was with stakeholders. And uh, the, the third part is getting the team on board, right? Because uh, I'm this nobody from Malaysia that came in you know, and then uh, I don't know whether there's a Singapore Malaysian bias, like why, why should a Malaysian person come and teach us anything, right? Um, it was really trying to make sure that uh, I could present myself well to them and, and uh, build trust with them through, help, through providing good support, right? Um, I wouldn't say that the team was not doing well, right? But making sure that I was able to be available for them uh, to help them through things that they wanted help with. Right, so uh, some of the structures that I have to put in place. Uh, the, the simplest one was I created office hours. Uh, so one hour a week in my calendar, I, I sort of uh, block out for anyone in the product team to just jump into the call with me and just talk to me about anything. Right, mm -hmm. and and um, the I I told them that this is completely unstructured. You don't have to bring like a very clear problem. Sometimes people don't even know what the problem kind of thing. You can just jump in, and we can 
break it down and, and talk about it and then uh, problem solve together if there's time. Um, and, and that's actually been going quite well. Uh, I was initially worried that I'll put this call on my calendar and then no one's going to show up. I'm going to be, you know, like really uh, embarrassed, lah, you know, that it's not working out. But actually it's worked out pretty well. I'm, I'm glad to say that uh, they've been, that the team has been consistently leveraging that, that time with me and uh, yeah. that's been, it's given me a lot of fulfillment to, to know that I can help people uh, solve their problems. Um, another thing I put in place was uh, we were still trying to figure out like the, the clear tenets of the product strategy for Njavan. But uh, coming in, I don't, not wanting to like, shake up everything and, and start to do a major mm. planning around strategy and do a lot of research kind of shit. Uh, I want to make sure that there's, there's still clear priority and clarity for the team on where to focus on. So we established something called the product bets, right? And, and th- these were the f- uh, four or five areas that uh, we would clearly prioritize across any other initiative in the business mm-hmm. um, and, and uh, also provide more visibility for as well with stakeholders. Uh, and, and that seems to have worked well. So by doing these kind of things, I think it, it's helped to help people see that, okay, this guy does know what he's talking about. And um, yeah, it's really helped to uh, build that trust in a way. And so finally with my boss, I would say, like uh, from him seeing how I've worked with stakeholders and with the team, I think that's really helped him feel a lot more comfortable that things will be okay, right? Like if, if things were sort of like really getting really messy, the team would complain like, I don't know what he's talking about. Seriously, like this mm. guy is rambling and talking nonsense. I think I'll be in, in deep shit, but like uh, luckily that's not happened. And uh, that's really helped to solidify my position in the company uh, eight, eight months in, I would say. Like, um, so still relatively new. I'm still learning a lot yeah. about the business every day. Um, but yeah, it's, it's been a really good run so far. Yeah. Um, again, want to nitpick on some one of the things that you said just to you know zoom in and understand more, right? So yeah. you were saying that you know one of the things that you did was to really understand the pains of the business, especially from outside of the product view, right? Because again, sometimes when you're in you're so deep into the product minefield, right, you, you kind of lose some objectivity and you know yeah. some proper understanding of the whole landscape um but one of the things that usually happens um and, and i say usually is because i've experienced this and i know a few people i've spoken to you know whether it's podcasts or just you know regular chats is the the disparity between what comes out of those discussions right because you're going to be listening to their pain points and m- from what I observe, right, business pain points tends to usually be more in the now um, and in the present um, and less about what do we want to, you know, 12 months, 24 months or in the future, right? So it's really solving a problem for the now. Um, And the thing that usually causes friction is when they see either your roadmap or your bets or whatever, I'm like, hey, wait, but this this doesn't solve my problem, right? I, I have this problem. You told me that, yeah, you understand, right? But now suddenly you come up with this with this you know um explanation format and it my my problem is like down there somewhere in the KIV or in the you know black hole of backlog you know so how 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 do you deal with that so like uh what one thing is interesting about uh ninja van is that they've really tried very hard to keep an entrepreneurial spirit or ways of working in the company mm-hmm. um so i would say the company is split between two parts. One part, which is the core last mile express logistics business for e-commerce, right? And, and the other part, which is uh, what we call 
Logistics Plus, and they, they mostly are the new business units that are, are trying to capture value in adjacent sort of like uh, sectors or, or industries. Or, yeah, yeah. So um, how they started up those uh, new businesses was that they actually hired the head of business, give them a budget and say, hey, uh, this is how much money you have to spend. Go hire your team, buy whatever you need, prove to us the models, your, your, your service is going to work. It's going to be profitable. So because that was the approach, they had to be really smart on how they spend the money. Like there's going to be a startup within the startup itself, sure. right? And, and they, helped, they felt the pain of having to build software or, or just implement services, even if it's through a SaaS, right? Uh, configuring it and everything. So a lot of the people in the business now understand the, the pains of trying to deliver software quickly, accurately, uh, and, and the pitfalls of, you know, uh, you, you think this is going to be the solution, but when you, uh, when you do it, you see actually, no, it's not. You, 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 do, you have to do more research and better understand the problem space before you sort of jump into it. So I would say a lot of them really understand already the, the value of product and tech and how it can help complement their side of the business. Um, the, the, the struggle is then trying to help them more objectively figure out priority, right? Because and, and, and as, as, as we know, like, you know, like uh, we try to make priority as objective as possible, but it's never objective, right? It's freaking bullshit. Okay. It's, at some level, someone is trying to manipulate the, the metrics or impact or kind of shit to, to make something more high priority, right? So it's, it's really trying to help facilitate that, that conversation between stakeholders, product, uh, and other people on like, you know, uh, what do we think has the highest chance of delivering the most value uh, right now that will give us the biggest advantage in the market, right? Mm. Um, and, and those are really hard conversations. But what I found is that if we're inclusive enough to include them at the right time, uh, to have them understand the reasons behind why certain things got prioritized, it, it's not just like some uh, a roadmap that's fed to them, okay, this is what we're going to do. They're part of the planning process. They're a lot more likely to be supportive and, and actually you know, tell you, okay, actually this one, I can deprioritize. This one, I think is more important. They're, mm. they're more willing to tell you if, if you included them. So uh, my approach has always, yeah, has been to try to keep them more inclusive uh, and, and so that they feel a lot more bought in to, to those kind of decisions that are made uh, priority-wise and stuff. So far, it's been okay. Like, I wouldn't say it's 100% clean. There are always certain ones that people are really frustrated with. Uh, but that's just the, the nature of the, of the role, I would say. Like, I've not been in a role where people have said, oh, your priority is perfect yeah. or uh, product and tech is moving fast enough, right? That's never going to happen. Yeah, so uh, they're never going to say that. <laughs> exactly. So um, it's really trying to pick your battles and, and making sure that they, they feel contented enough <laughs> with what's been decided. Yeah. Okay, so to try and distill down what you just said, right? Your, your approach is collaborate with them even at the planning stage. So, or are you saying that, um, you know, you've got your, your, your problem or opportunity areas and then you, they come in to collaborate with the solution. That, that part wasn't very clear for me. Okay. So like I view it as two different tracks of work, right? Yes. One is the planning planning kind of track and the other one is the execution track, right? So okay, the, 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 the strategic one is the more tactical. Like, exactly, right? exactly, right? So the, the planning one is something that uh, I'm, I'm pushing my PMs to always spend time on and, and, and be more in the future because the, the, um, the engineering team, the engineering manager, the designers, they're more in the execution, right? Yes, and, and, right. And, and they already are sort of pinging you with questions and stuff 
uh, even stakeholders uh, on a day-to-day -day basis. So if you don't focus as a PM, if you don't focus on the longer term, no one is going to focus there, right? So you need to at least have your head at least two years in the future, kind of thinking about like, you know, where this is going. Uh, and if you don't know where, it's fine, right? You just have to uh, do the things, uh, do the activities that will help you to figure that out. So like it's the research, it's the looking at data, it's reading up articles about trends, right? Um, so that, that's the two tracks of work. So like definitely with the, uh, the planning track, that's a bit more strategic, involve the business teams to sort of have them understand where your mind is at in terms of like how you're thinking about the future. Um, the details of the execution also on certain parts that are important, include them as well. Also include them in uh, the review when uh, there's something to share in terms of a design or mock-up or like the actual build, uh, have uh, internal UATs if you need to, to like have them try out the feature before we go live, yeah. right? Uh, collaborate with them on go-to-market plans. Uh, how do we launch? Do we launch as a test, uh, split test or like um, some percentage of the market or whatever it is, right? So definitely many areas for collaboration. Yeah. Uh, but like I would say distinctly would be one track which is the planning one which I think the PMs need to lead more and then the execution ones I would actually prefer if the uh, design and even the tech lead sort of tries to lead at times in terms of the discussion because uh, those are the details that they need to sort of capture in order to do the execution well okay okay yeah nice um, I have one last question for you with regards to you know product management practices and leadership, right, is, is an area which I think is, is coming up a lot more, especially in light of COVID and us coming out of COVID. And, and this is the discussion around product management or product managers' mental health, right? Mm -hmm. um, earlier, earlier in the call, we, we, we mentioned, or rather you mentioned that, you know, your preferred mode is that, you know, the, the product manager sort of um, also takes in the responsibilities of a PO. And one of the results of that is that you get very busy PMs. Now, I'm not talking about, you know, busy work, which doesn't achieve stuff. I'm saying that I think a lot of PMs are doing a lot of hard work, putting in the hard miles to really show uh, impact. Um, but it's also a very challenging role where burnout is real, um, where if you don't really know how to manage your time and your mental space, right? Um, I've seen PMs break down as well. Um, how, how do you handle that challenge? Um, at, well, maybe it's at Ninja Van, maybe it's at Seek, I don't know. But how, how do you, more specifically, not for yourself, but for your team? Because this is where I think it's not many product leaders talk about this. How do you build um, either mental resilience or, you know, look out for the mental health of your, your PM team? Yeah, it's definitely an area that I've also felt as well. Uh, previously, in my previous role, uh, I think, and this is a personal experience, like uh, when COVID hit, right, um, we all switched to working from home and suddenly your home was your office as well. And the lines between work and your normal personal life blurred. I think previously when I was at Seek, um, when I was working in office, when it hit 5.30 p.m., laptop shut down, leave office. I, I think I even left my laptop at the office and went home. Wow. After, oh, yeah, wow. Okay. yeah, I know. Like, um, so, so one of the things I have to give seek kudos for is their ability to provide a good environment for, for and, and, and really provide good, uh, what should I say, good benefits for um, the the employees to take care of themselves, right? Mm. So 
the, the sort of principle always I see is that take care of yourself first, right? Uh, you have a family, work can come later. Just talk to your manager, don't worry about it, kind of thing. Mm. So, but after, uh, after COVID hit, right, um, the, the lines blurred for me. And, and being the kind of person I am, I think I sort of also probably bit off more than I can chew. I was working nights, uh, you know, um, after I put my kid to bed and stuff like that. And, and definitely I felt also that burnout after a while and, and just had to tell myself, you know what, this is bad. I'm going to stop. Consciously, like, tell myself, like, okay, these things will have to wait, right? Uh, communicate with uh, my, my team or whoever, my bosses, whatever it is, that this will be done later, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, um, and, and, yeah, just give myself time. Uh, so I definitely recognize that this is an area that uh, we have to be aware of and actively do things to sort of, like, help our teams as well. But the, the first thing I always tell my teams in terms of, like, helping them have space is to just block your calendar. Right? Because if you don't block your calendar for things for yourself, people is going to block it for meetings. Yeah, right? So why do you prioritize people's own requests for your time right? and you don't prioritize your own time? Right? Mm. So you should prioritize your own time first and foremost because it's for you and hopefully you know what's best for yourself. Yeah. Right. So whether it's blocking out lunch, I told them, go and block out your lunch time. Don't let people block, uh, book meetings in your lunch time. Right? So you have time to chill have a meal, feel contented, right? Um, have a coffee, come back to work, feeling more refreshed. There's no point trying to work when you're hungry. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like people, I, I just can't understand people who are willing to work through that, right? And, and say, that, oh, it's, it's me being committed. No, it's not. Like you're hurting yourself and the business, right? Because you're not going to be healthy. Take the time to take care of yourself first. That's so important. Um, and, and not just for your lunch, like even for your work, right? So if you need quiet time to do your planning, uh, quiet time to look at and doing requirements or whatever, right? Block it in your calendar. Otherwise, people will stuff your calendar with shit and then you can't have time for anything. So yeah. that's the first thing I always tell my team. Make sure that you make time for yourself. Prioritize yourself over other people. Second thing I think uh, is something that comes from naturally in Ninja Fan, which is uh, that social element, right? So uh, making sure uh, in the evenings, take a break come down, have a, have a beer, uh, let's talk about stuff. Uh, if you need to unload, just unload, right? Mm. Uh, it, it helps to just get things off your chest sometimes just to talk to someone about it. Um, and that's definitely be something that I, I feel works uh, for, for people to like really uh, be able to just disconnect and, and uh, even, even seeing the leaders tell you that, you know, this is something that is okay. We, we're not going to look at this as slacking off, right? You, you're, you've worked enough Let's take a chill for a moment and, 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 and talk about stuff over beer. I think that really helps. The third thing which I found that also helps is giving work meaning, right? Um, I think people tend to get really frustrated with work at times when uh, they feel like their work is not going anywhere. And then mm. they're just working at something that doesn't really have any sort of like good outcome. Um, mm. uh, tr- making sure that uh, the work also energizes them, I think also helps a lot in reducing that feeling that, ah, oh, this is, mm-hmm. you know, that, that burnout kind of feeling. I know yeah. it, it may lead to more work. So uh, for point number three, also refer to point one, number one and number two as well in terms of like making time for yourself and stuff. But like, I feel like making sure that the team feels that they are doing something meaningful and are working towards things which are very impactful for the business, even people, right? Yeah. Uh, help, helping people in general have a better life. Uh, 
reduces that feeling of like, oh, you know, I, I don't want to do this. And it just helps men- mentally. You feel happy about the work you're doing. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I think very, very um, poignant points, right? And, and maybe, you know, I'm going to have to circle back to this because, yeah, I, I think that, like I said, I, I'm seeing more and more, not just PMs, uh, but you know, more and more people in general talk about mental health, um, but especially within the product space, or at least in Southeast Asia, I don't really hear much about it. Um, we're still talking about remote work, to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> I, you know, but you know, the, the mental health aspect, even of remote work, is is really critical. And I think I really picked up on that point where you mentioned, right? You know, when you start working from home your home is your office and your office is your home the lines get really really blurred and and yeah it, it's tough um so yeah I, I would to me i would actually say that for for those who are in a remote um environment and you are working in your home i think i would personally recommend you start drawing like literally physical lines uh or boundaries lah, between what is your work area and what is your um um home area so like for me I never, I won't say never, but I, I really try really hard to never bring my laptop into the room where I sleep. So like, you know, this this is my safe space. I go in to rest, I go in to sleep. And then, you know, I have a separate room converted from what was supposed to be the guest room, which is no longer a guest room, um, where I do all my work. And that's where, <clears throat> even for my kids, but like, okay, daddy is in his working room. And then when I come out, it's like, okay, you know, this is this is the boundary. Um, I think that's that for me has has really helped to sort of it's like Pavlov experiments, right? You 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 condition yourself to think that once you walk out, you kind of shut off from that. And then when you go back in, you put your work hat back on, you know. So but but I mean, yeah, I think thanks for sharing um about you know how how to make sure of taking care of yourself first, you know, booking time for yourself. I think that's super important. And and actually on what you mentioned, right? Uh I remember listening to a podcast or something about uh, mental health and they were sort of calling out what you just described, right? As a transition from work to your personal sort of like space. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think and what they were calling out was that previously when we used to work in the office, right? Um, the drive home, the commute home was the way to disconnect between the work and our personal life. But yeah. when remote work happened, that line, that ritual disappeared. Mm. So that sort of like, prevented people from disconnecting from work so like even though they're at home they may have left the laptop but they're still thinking about work because they've not really had that ritual to separate so uh, one of the things they suggested was to choose a ritual that you can do after your work is done at home to disconnect either it's like uh, walking your dog or doing some gardening or doing some exercise or whatever it is right so that your body sort of like recognizes the signals that you know this is me moving away from work and starting to relax, right? And, and that will help sort of like uh, unblock your mind and, and relax a bit more. So I think mm-hmm. what, you, what you do is probably very, very similar to what that describes. Yeah, yeah. And, and if you guys want to, to understand a bit more about how you can block your, your, uh, your calendar time, um, I remember Diane, Diane Rosanti, who's, uh, I think she's now VP of uh, product at GoTo or Slash, you know, what used to be Gojek. Um, she did this talk for Mind the Product, um, which she actually showed us 
um a screenshot of her calendar where she even books out time for her to, to go and bathe kind of thing. I thought that was really, really, I mean, it was funny because of the example that she used. And her context was that she was still based in uh, the Bay and she was working with the Indonesian team. So time differences meant that she really had to block out even time that, you know, don't bother me, I'm bathing here. Um, but um, the thought process around how she did it, I thought was really great. Um, if I find if I find it, I'll I'll put it in the description links somewhere but if not you know go google it yourself right? we're all big boys and big girls um okay uh, let's go to let's go to the last part of the of the show which is you know my favorite part which is the song um so yeah what i usually always say is you know um the the this curveball request to all my guests is to get them to choose a song um because i don't know sometimes songs seem to either reflect your state of mind reflect your musical preference reflect what you're trying to project i don't know so yeah, Eric, why don't you tell us what song you chose and a little bit of why you, you chose that song? Uh, so I chose a song called Chelsea Smile uh, by this band called Bring Me The Horizon. Uh, it's, a, it's a metal band. So I'm a, I'm a bit of a metal hit from my younger years uh, and <laughs> just so carried over into now. Uh, wh why I chose this song was because uh, it's my go-to song for getting hyped, right? And um, I actually listen to this song quite frequently on my commute to work because I want to get hyped before I start work. Uh, so like um, that sort of really helps to pump me up and, and get in the right state of mind to be able to start work uh, feeling really energized. Mm. Uh, so given this show was about like uh, my job, I thought like uh, it's a good choice to like sort of share. And, and I, I didn't realize that Colin was going to include a, a YouTube link to the song as well. And when I was watching the, the video earlier, he said, I was like, shit, actually, this doesn't portray me very well because the, the, it's, it's a video of a party of young kids sort of like probably not doing very nice things. <laughs> um, cl clearly, I've not watched that video in a long time, so I didn't realize that content when I sort of like suggested it, but like, uh, you know what, what the hell, uncensored, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so I, the... Interesting, interesting anecdote, right? Um, so what what I do with my team, I mean, every every week when we have our weekly product team meetings, right? I always start with a little short icebreaker game, right? Just to get people, you know, disconnect from whatever they were doing. And so one of the one of the games that I played was um, everyone had to choose um, a line from a song, um, and then share it with the rest of the team why they did. And so the the the, the song that I chose actually also came from Bring Me The Horizon. Um, but I chose um, I chose Throne instead of Chelsea. Well, they are much, I mean, Throne was much later. Um, and the reason was because I thought the lyrics really, um, how to say, it, it really made me feel like that was my job, right? Because that, that line that line in the, in the song says, you can throw me to the wolves. Tomorrow, I will come back leader of the whole pack. So, that song gets me super hyped, right? especially when when things are going hard or when I really need a pick me up, right? Yeah. Uh, I feel that that when he gets to the chorus, when he when he starts screaming that up, it's like oh, you know, it's like yes, you know, I, whatever, what throw your worst at me, you know, and I, I'm gonna come back and do it. So I thought it was very very ironic when you told me, oh, I chose to bring it. I was oh, this is very really cool. So yeah, <laughs> nice, one, nice, nice one, nice <laughs> one. Okay, yeah. So um. Well, we're at the end, um, Eric, um, as usual, I tell all my guests that, you know, I always wish we had more time because once we start, you know, going down that rabbit hole, then you realize that there's so much more. 
Um, so yeah, maybe one day I'll do a part two with every single guest that I've done. I don't know. Um, <laughs> but for now, but for now, do you have any final thoughts or you know anything you want to share um, before we close? Um, yeah, like I feel we're all, once again, I'm going to use this word again. Uh, we're all really lucky to be living in this time, right? Where technology is so amazing. Uh, it's enabled us to be so much more than we could have been uh, way back when. So uh, I hope like all of you listening, uh, if you are product managers, designers, engineers, uh, you sort of like also take advantage of this opportunity to really do some amazing stuff. Uh, we're, and it's so great that this scene has come to Southeast Asia now and we have this opportunity to do this kind of work uh, that used to be only more popular in the Western countries, right? So uh, if, if you're doing this, feel fortunate, you know, feel happy that uh, you, you're in this position that's really cool uh, and, and think about how, you know, you can create things that make the world a better place. Uh, it, it, it's going to be really amazing to see all the things that you do. You, you'll surprise yourself. Uh, and this is what has happened to me as well. So I'm, I'm still really happy to be doing this job uh, so many more years later, not seeing how many. <laughs> yeah all right okay thank you so much um eric for being on the show being you know super honest super candid super open as usual always a, a very um, enjoyable conversation um and you know just to echo what eric has said like we are very very fortunate um and i echo his thoughts directly um every day actually i feel very fortunate that i i'm in a product management role um, I my my job is to make things better, um, and that you know, so many years later, right? Honestly, I still get the rush when we 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 launch something new, and you get the feedback that oh my gosh, this has solved the problem. That feeling is unparalleled for me, right? Um, and 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 I and I would say you know, don't don't take it for granted. I think sometimes we we tend to to almost get into this line where we're feeling a little bit entitled. Um, and it's not. I think we have to work very hard for what we do, um, and don't don't take that for granted. Because you know, who knows? You know, maybe one year from now there'll be another sexier role, or you know, suddenly you know we're not as important anymore. Um, but yeah, make sure don't don't feel like what you're doing is always going to be there, um, and always cherish the fact that you know we are very fortunate to be able to do what we do. All right, thank you all for listening. Thank you all for watching. Um, if you like I said right if you um, don't remember uh, yeah subscribe uh, and then the notification bell follow you know, all the standard stuff lah, huh? right and I'll see you guys at the next um, show have a good weekend have a good weekday I don't know whatever day that you're watching this or hearing this have a good one bye bye <laughs>